listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode 104 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Andrew Lockwood. Andrew is the founder of Rugby Vacancies and SNC Vacancies, and most recently, Grey Wolf Consulting Group. He's been a member of the British Army since 2004 and has toured both Iraq and Afghanistan. He's had a wide variety of coaching roles in both union and rugby league, and also created a charity called the Rugby Outreach Project. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Andrew. Hi, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, we uh, we we hooked this up a while ago, and then uh, we our, our comms got a bit uh, mixed up, and uh, but now we're back, so that's great. And you're you're in Canada. Yeah, mate. Sunny Kingston. You can kind of see over my shoulders yeah. through the blinds, and it's uh, blue skies and sunshine. Although it's Perfect. about minus four, but it's blue skies and sunshine. Uh, that's that's uh, in Canada. We call that mild. So uh, you, you've got a good day there. How's your, uh, you're in Kingston. So how's your tragically hip knowledge? This is pretty important stuff right now. It's awful, mate. I haven't oh, listened to any of them. Mate. I'm going to have to get the greatest hits at some point, I think, because oh, people talk yeah. about it. Yeah. But yeah, you're, I haven't listened to any of them so far. Yeah. Your, your favorites is the album you want to get. Uh, okay. And that'll give you a good cross section of their, their hits. No All right. So what's, uh, what, what's your playing backstory? You, 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 in the intro, there's a bit of rugby league in there, um, lots of rugby union. Where, where did it all yeah, start? Yeah, me. So, I, like a lot of people, I started playing local rugby club in Devon in the UK. Um, played from sort of under under sevens or eights, you know, all the way through to school and then university and beyond. Uh, I took a I took a gap year um, between uh, school and university, and I went to Western Australia. Played in WA. Mm. Um, yeah. for a, uh, in Perth for a team called uh, Leeming Lions also managed to get a, a, a bit of game time for Western Australia under 19s that was interesting nice. uh, never got to play in front of the Australian selectors um, it's probably a good <laughs> thing though because that, that Australian uh, the, the sort of junior that day, right team that year was, yep. was pretty strong yeah. <laughs> uh, and so yeah played all the way through joined the army still sort of kept on playing um Managed to get one game for uh, Germany Rugby League um, when I was based over in Germany. That was interesting. Um, That was me, quite a few expat Australians and only one or two Germans. So it was mainly mainly an Australian team, but (laughs) ironically, we played against uh, an army team. So that was interesting. Um, So, yeah, played a bit of mainly union, bit of league. Um, Haven't played much for a few years. Funny enough, I actually picked up playing um, hurling and Gaelic football out here in Kingston, which is which is unusual. Which is, uh, it's not often you get an English bloke in the British Army playing Gaelic sports. But, yeah, um, it's been great fun. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> awesome. And what about coaching? When were the first experiences uh, in in coaching, either in union or league? So actually, my first experience of coaching was was basketball in the late nineties. So I was I played a lot of sport growing up. Rugby was the main one, but sort of basketball mm. and cricket as well were probably the, the other two um and in the sort of mid to late 90s I started coaching kids basketball I was I was only in my late teens at the time and and I used to do in the summer holidays I would do the um council run sports camps so I would be right. taking kids for basketball or football or athletics or, or whatever it was that day um mm. so that was my first experience of coaching and it was with kids and it was it probably gave me the biggest insight into coaching than any other situation I've, yeah, right. I've been in. You know, kids, uh, so as a young person, coaching kids, and I think for any coach, if, you're, if you want to develop as a coach, I think coaching kids has a particular, it's a real learning curve and it's different to coaching adults, but in a mm. good way. And, and if, you, if you're a good coach with kids, I think you'll make an excellent coach when you're coaching adults. So I would recommend coaching kids to anyone. Um, It was a real baptism of fire. Uh, 
especially as a kind of 16, 17, 18 year old having to deal with deal with kids running around in the chaos oh, that, yeah. that yeah. ensues. As a, yes. as a school teacher, I, uh, I empathize. <laughs> so that's kind of my first coaching experience. Um, and then, and then I, I focused mainly really on, on playing for a few years. Uh, mm. and then until I, um, joined the army and then in which case, you know, I was then involved a lot more on the, the non-playing side. So a bit of coaching right. for, uh, teams in the military. Uh, and recently I haven't done much coaching recently in terms of on the grass boots on kind of rugby mm. coaching. I've sort of transitioned a bit more into, um, personal development and looking at leadership and culture. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And you mentioned cricket in there, mate. Is now a good time to talk about the Ashes? <laughs> so I, we can talk about it as much as you like. I am for <laughs> cricket for, for a long time. Um, yeah, it was, I was always more up. interested in. I was always more interested in playing. Watching, I still find it really dull. Playing was great, oh, unless on. I got out for a duck, in which case it felt like <laughs> a bit of a waste of the day. Um, but, yeah, but playing was always much more interesting than watching. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, or I'm the opposite actually. I didn't play a lot of cricket, I'd like just loads of backyard cricket and um, mm-hmm. a little bit of school cricket, and then kind of fifth grade in my late 20s uh, with the boys. Uh, but yeah, I could watch first ball to last ball in a five day test. Love it. <laughs> uh, all right, what about, what about mistakes as coaching? What what are what are some of the big mistakes you've made as a coach, and, and what, what kind of ways did you kind of try and write the ship? So, I think that. Definitely one of the things that, that I, I realised pretty quickly when I started coaching um, sort of representative level teams in the military was that the players wanted to hear what I had to say, which mm. they didn't. Um, mm. <laughs> they don't need to stand there and be told how to play or what to do. I realised pretty quickly, actually, they, they wanted the opportunity to play. Mm. Um, and and that was, that was quite a... I knew that, I think, from sort of doing the coaching with the kids as, as a young guy. But then I'd kind of forgotten it or, or not really considered it or not really linked the two together. And so, you know, I remember the first couple of sessions um, doing SNC and skills. Um, yeah, players didn't want to stand there and be told by me what to do. And so that mm. I rapidly kind of changed my sessions to be more game related, more ball time, more ball mm. in play, more more activity, more, more actually doing rugby rather than you know going through a drill and and when i reflect back on you know my my playing career that that's the stuff that i enjoy you know, that's my bias yeah, i enjoyed that yeah. kind of stuff what, what i never really enjoyed was what we used to do it a lot was the other kind of like classic two-on-ones um or three-on-twos where if you put a serious face on and, and put mm. in a pass then you know, the coach thinks you're, you're doing all right, uh, mm. but actually the, the benefit of that is is, is minimal. Um, mm. And I realised that it was decision-making and your ability to operate within in chaotic situations mm. and the unknown and, and being able to adapt was actually probably more of a, more beneficial than just being able to complete a two-on-one in a grid. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that raises a really good point. I think... Um some coaches might fall into that trap of, you know, oh, we do lots of games with the kids, but as soon as we coach the adults, we, we go pretty drill heavy. We're going to get that technique perfect, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same with my, my, my senior teams. I, I coach them the same as I'd coach my kids. You know, it's uh, we, I'm look, I'm looking for, you know, 60, 70, 80% of, of the, the time that we're doing is actually games based activities very very little isolated one-on-one skill drills especially in season two because it's just and, and outside of the professional games so for 99 percent of everyone else mm-hmm. exactly. actually they train on, a, on two evenings a week and play on saturday so if, you, if yeah. they turn up and they don't enjoy that hour that they're there mm. they're not going to come back mm-hmm. and actually the reason for doing rugby or sport in general is because it's because it's fun one of the yeah. one of the metrics i used to use was um one of the teams uh i coached had a we had quite a, a high Fijian um, number of players, about mm-hmm. thirty to fifty percent, depending on who was available at the time. And I used to, and I used to use uh, hearing people chatting and laughing as a metric of, of yeah. how well the session was going. And if you could hear, if you could hear Fijians laughing and chatting, then I knew that, no, that the session point. was going all right. If it was yeah. all quiet, I thought yeah. something wrong here. We need to change this because yeah, uh, it's just not working and no one's engaged. Yeah. So that that yeah. was one metric I used to use quite regularly. Yeah, uh, it's a. Uh... It's just a joy playing with. I haven't coached any Fijians, but I've played with a bunch of Fijians, and 
it's just it's just amazing uh, playing with those guys and and how much uh, enthusiasm they bring to the game and how creative they are and yeah that's a, that's a really good observation that using using them as a metric. All right, what are, you, you said you're taking a t- bit of a you know transition from from coaching uh, into more more leadership uh, things. What what what's the big interest there? Why are you moving kind of in that direction? In, in terms of importance levels uh, for, for, for a team game? So I suppose it's kind of links to starting up rugby vacancies a few years ago. And I um, so there's a backstory is I found myself with, with zero involvement in rugby um, in about uh, March uh, 2017, which was really odd because it was the first time in about 30 years I'd had no involvement. No, no playing, no coaching, nothing. And it was really odd. And so I was looking around for coaching roles and I would find them, but they'd be in the wrong part of the world or they wouldn't suit me or, or whatever. And so I kind of started putting these all in one place and, and then several vacancies were started. Um, and, that, and that's grown. And because of my experience in the military with helping soldiers transition from the military to civilian life, um, I realised there was, there was a niche for... Uh, for players and coaches in terms of sort of um, career assistance, mm. you know, whether that was um, regardless of sort of the, 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 where that player or coach is on their, on their career path, actually, it's always helpful to have, you know, a, a chat uh, about what their goals are, what they want to achieve, maybe what they want to do outside of the sport, that, that sort of thing. And, and this, and this happened a couple of times informally. So, mm. you know, people would get in touch often it would be referral so someone you know a, a, someone would refer a player to me and say hey, this guy's looking at leaving and getting into coaching or, or, or finishing up his playing and i'd have a chat with them and, and, and it kind of snowballed from there so um so that's something that i offer now and really it's it's the skills that i developed in the military helping soldiers transition transposed to professional sport um mm-hmm. and actually soldiers and rugby players are are really similar uh, often the issues that they face when they transition from one career to the next are yeah. really similar mm-hmm. um so that was a sort of a, a pretty straightforward um straightforward switch and covid probably helped that in that there were you know over the last couple of years there's been quite a few guys who have lost contracts mm-hmm. whether that's players or coaches or, the, or they've been told their contracts are being renewed or, or or whatever so that's that's sort of that's had a bit of an upswing in the last couple of years um, and then I, I said the, the leadership and culture development is, uh, I've been really lucky in the army in that I've had various experiences and jobs related to, to leadership and then developing culture, mm. uh, positive culture. And I've been kicking this idea around for a couple of years uh, about the sort of common areas of leadership and cultural development. And I'd had a couple of conversations with people where I'd, where I'd voiced that and it seemed to have some uptake and I thought there might be something in this. Mm. And so I thought, right, you know, having sort of socialised this with, with other people, I realised actually, yeah, this is, this is something that the, this is observations from my sort of military and, and my time in s- sport that I can relate to professional sports teams. Um, and it comes down to three really key areas. Um, and leadership and, and culture are, probably two sides of the same coin. It's really difficult to have a, a good culture without good leadership. It's difficult to have yeah. good leadership without, without a good coach to embed it in. And so those three areas that I kind of, that I came to were um, shared experience amongst players and, and staff and coaches, mm-hmm. um, understanding. So understanding of each other, the organization, where they fit, um, but definitely understanding of each other in terms of players, coaches, staff, uh, and the organization. And the third one was empathy. Mm. and I sort of reflected back on my experiences and, and what I'd seen and done and, and I realised that where those three elements were present in the teams that I'd been part of, you could deem it that they were performing well or, or successful, inverted commas, but mm. where there was then mistakes that I'd made was when I'd gone away from those kind of three key principles Um and I thought that was that, that was and that was I found really interesting. I thought, right, I can relate this then. I, I can I can I can use that experience mm. um, to then help 
other people develop their leadership and team culture. Right. Well, um, yeah, well, I definitely want to talk more about that as we kind of get into your, your new project. Um, just backtracking a bit with rugby vacancies, is, is that still operational? And the other question I have is, um, you know, there's there's quite a few options for coaches to to look at coaching elsewhere, coaching overseas, those kind of things. But but your 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 group kind of really really took off. Do you can you can you explain why why that was? So it's it is um, it's free free to view all the jobs. So um, everything that's posted on the social media, um, there is always an email or a, uh, or a link to the, to the application yeah. um, page. And it's free to view. So anyone can view any jobs from, from all around the world. And mm. it's the, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's the only place that puts rugby and rugby-related jobs in the one place for people to look at. Mm. And that could be everything from, you know, from the UK, Australia, US, and it's everything from coaching. I don't, there's not many playing roles, but actually, you know, clubs are looking for players. So, you know, mm. they, they do come up, especially this kind of this, this time of year. But it's everything from playing, coaching, uh, community roles, um, administration roles. If it's related to rugby, then it's going to be in there. Um, and I sort of purposely did that and kept it broad because mm. I think that if, if you have a passion for a sport, particularly rugby, and you want to be, and you want to develop that passion to a full-time job or career, then there are options open to you other than playing and coaching. Mm. And so you can still be involved in rugby. I was having a chat with a guy the other day who his um, his actual main job was um, in IT. So he was a he was a developer, uh, a software developer, and mm-hmm. he hadn't considered sport as an avenue for a career change. Um, but when you think about it, every every club, every professional club or team will have a requirement for mm. IT infrastructure or, or that kind of thing. I said, these jobs do come up. Don't you know? If you want to work in sport full time, and it's not coaching, there are other avenues for you, and, and there's loads. So, for example, if you have um, most franchises or professional teams now have at least one or two members of their social media or content team, because mm. it's such a big part of of life now and so if you're a, let's say you're a graduate a marketing a graduate and you want to get into you know social media and content and stuff like that you can work full-time in sport it is it. and there's other jobs loads of other jobs that's one example yeah and so i think because rugby vacancies has a really broad range of roles across the world so everywhere i find where i can find a, a you know jobs uh it allows people to then see those jobs and connect to those jobs from wherever they are. Mm. Um, all right. Well, back back to the leadership uh, content. I'm, I'm curious about what differences you might see in your time with the British military uh, and coaching teams in terms of building that culture and you know even things like empathy and and are there are there some big differences in in those two groups or is it just a you know, a, a team that's looking for a common goal and they're working towards it. So I think the the differences are actually pretty small. The similarities mm. are huge, yeah. and that's that's whether you're a sports team or or, or you're a, or you're running a, a team in the military. Mm. Um, and by by developing sort of shared experience amongst your team, that allows mm. players to communicate more. Um, that's not necessarily you know, your kind of uh, pre-season weekend team building, whether it could be. Um, mm-hmm. So there's kind of that big macro uh, events and you see you see sort of international or professional teams doing that quite a lot. Um, yeah. But it's not necessarily the the activity. What it does is, is that shared experience allows players to communicate more and get to know each other. And that, that's, yeah. that's the key aspect of doing that. You could be doing anything. It could be, you know, raft building to cross the river or it could be boring and dancing. It, it doesn't matter. The point is that it's an activity and it's a shared experience. Mm. And then in terms of understanding, what understanding does is it allows people to understand each other and therefore work more closely, understand strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and that's, in the military team, that's, that's really key. But it's also key in a sports team as well. So you need to understand each other. You need to understand your role, where you fit in that organisation, uh, what's expected of you. Mm. And that includes you know, 
behaviors, job role, but also behaviors as well. And then empathy is, empathy, and this is being able to show empathy with each other or, or, or up and down or, or you know, side to side, wherever your place is in the team, but being able to show empathy allows the team to generate trust. And trust is one of, if not the key element of any, any performing team. Without trust, you're just a group of individuals. And so what empathy does is it, it shows, it allows you to show vulnerability in a safe way. And it allows trust to develop. Um, and without that, no team will, will be successful. Yeah. And what, what are some methods that you pull, you pull those kind of, uh, those ideas out from, from groups? You mentioned shared experiences that you could create something, but then the other, other two areas, how, how can you go about working with a team to, to pull out those values? So one of the things um, that I've done previously with the team was um, we all got together and at various points, um, we discussed things. Uh, we would discuss a, a career highlight, just mm-hmm. something we thought we'd done really well. Yeah. Um, we discussed um, who our, our, our hero was. So that could be anyone, um, mm-hmm. whether that was a sporting hero or, or, or a family member or a parent or something, but someone who, was a, who had a significant impact in your life. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then a hardship and you know, what, what difficulties that person had faced and 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 how they'd overcome and that that sharing was mm. so it, it was it was a shared experience it was also allowing players to um develop a better understanding of each other where mm. they came from you know how they got to where they were um and it it just showed it allowed players to open up and be vulnerable in a safe space mm. and the you know, there was there was the odd there was the odd here because yeah. sometimes these hardships were sure. really hard um but what it meant was that the team understood each other in in a profound way that was a bit more than just you know it, it's a friend who turns up and trains next to me at that mm. rugby. yeah that's great and i think um and this is why this is why i love sport and why i love coaching so much i think that that, that it can be a conduit there of really really genuinely helping someone through it. So if they're, if they get hyper emotional about their experience, they, they obviously are in the early stages of acknowledging it and working through it and, you know, somewhat accepting it and even just telling people can be hard. Whereas, you know, others who have already gone through those stages and are able to talk about it freely and openly um, they're, they're in a different place and they might be able to help and assist. Um, So I think there's, there's huge benefits there. And it was, you know, it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting way of, of allowing players to get to know each other rather than the kind of traditional way, which was, you know, you play a pre-season game, (laughs) yeah, barbecue and then everyone gets drunk, which I'm sure still has its merit, but I suspect that these days that's, that's, I think we probably moved on. Yeah, yeah, it's like nutrition. It's a sometimes food. It's a, yeah. a little <laughs> little treat. The the packet of Tim Tams and the hot milk. Uh, you can't do it every day. Cool. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, that leads us into your 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 new project, uh, Grey Wolf Consulting Group. Love the name. Uh, and you're you're using a lot of what you're talking about there, but mostly you you know you're both your military and your coaching experience to to help sporting teams develop leadership and culture. What what's how's how's had that come about that group and and how's it processing so far so so far it's going quite well um it's still fairly new but it's like i said i've been kicking this idea around for a couple Mm. of years and it was it was voicing it over the last kind of four or five months and voicing this this concept of those sort of three pillars that made me think yeah there's something in this and then after i kind of launched there's been some some really interesting informal conversations with coaches um, from around the place uh, who are currently coaching or who are looking at leadership and culture development outside of sport, um, which is not an area I'd consider crossing over to, but, you know, but it's, but it's possible. Um, So, so far going really well. Um, And there will be, and I think it will develop, it will develop further. I've just started a, just enrolled in a, in a, uh, in a professional doctorate, the outcome of which I'm hoping is going to be some kind of book looking at you know lessons for lessons for sport from the military in terms of mm-hmm. leadership and culture development. Um, a few years away yet, but uh, yeah. but that's just started. Yeah, 
<laughs> cool. So have you have you started working with any groups or teams with the with the project yet? Informally, yes. Yeah. Um, and they are and but it's early days yet. So mm. it's it's interesting that I've been doing this for a while in terms of you know, informally assisting coaches. Mm. Uh, but now there's kind of a name to it and there's a, and there's a process. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, it, I'm hoping it will take off fairly soon. Uh, yeah. But there's been some really interesting informal discussions so far about, you know, where this is going to go and how it's going to assist teams. Cool. And what, what have you found are the, the needs? Mainly that I think a lot of coaches already have an idea of, of, of what they probably should do. Mm. It then comes down to making those, sort of voicing that, so yeah. sort of acknowledging that, you know, it, here's what I already know. Here's what I think I need to do. And then the bit to be able to action that can sometimes mm. be a bit difficult, especially yeah. if, 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 the, if the existing culture won't support that kind of change, mm-hmm. that makes that change a bit more difficult. And so sometimes, sometimes it's, it's not necessarily about building a culture. It's about changing a culture. And and sometimes that can be more difficult, uh, especially if it is a a culture that is ingrained and is kind of part of the fabric of the of of the of the organisation. That, yeah. that could be a, a positive or negative. Um, but trying to make those changes can sometimes be quite difficult, despite the fact that a coach will will know probably what they need to do, but it's how they can then do that and those yeah. small action steps, those little steps they can take to make those changes. Yeah, like this is something that for you know, ten years of my fifteen years of coaching, I've been really interested in, and uh, and it takes skill. Uh, it takes a lot of skill to to do these things that you're talking about with a group, and and it's a bit of a tightrope walk as well. Um, you can you can uh, do some harm as well if if you don't follow up or if uh, uh, something goes in a direction that you weren't prepared for or you don't have support uh from from the management of whatever group you're in so yeah it's a it's a it's a challenging process for sure and i think that you know sport is so like professional sport is such an unforgiving place um mm. and so it's probably unlikely that a coach is going to come in and make big sweeping big sweeping changes but actually the ability to make small incremental changes will um it, it is definitely more doable uh yeah. And then the knock-on effects to that will probably be bigger than the, the small change being made. Yeah. And I kind of look at it as kind of like a three-year kind of thing that if I'm starting with a new team, I, I'm I'm expecting to get where I want to be on not not a results kind of standpoint, but on a, a, a team culture and, and leadership and harmony within the group uh, area. It's gonna it's gonna take about three years, is is what I've found. Yeah, and that's depending and, on the group as well. If you if it's a brand yeah. new group or it's a mature group, maybe they don't need a lot. But yeah, just from my experience, it's been it's been a, a good chunk of time. And you're right, and it's and it's so contextual that it can be you can have the same coach going to different teams, and the outcome be completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, think of an Australian example, Anthony Seabold at the Rabbitohs uh, won everything. Uh, Crest of a wave, went to the Broncos. Mm. I think he was removed after a season or a season and a half, something like that. Great coach, now coaching England as an assistant, uh, England rugby as an assistant coach. His coaching ability didn't change, Mm. but the context with which he did that change and and the location, the situation and and the group, and you had a different outcome. Um, So it's it's really contextual. Uh, And And maybe his ability to adapt uh, might be something to consider as well. Yep. And I think that your someone's you know, a coach's leadership and their and their ability to to develop a culture, it, it is really contextual. And it often will depend on the players, the club or, or the organization. And and your and the methods you use will probably differ from one situation to another. And if you are if a coach is unable to adapt or, or, or change and they're a bit rigid. And potentially that's where the that's where the problems that's where the problems come um but yeah it it is contextual and that's why sometimes people get it absolutely right 
and sometimes we'll get it absolutely wrong. Uh, but then there's lessons that you can get from both of those. And often the, the, the times you get it wrong are the times where you, you, you learn the biggest lesson. Hi, coaches. Well, ever since announcing my goal to launch the Evolve online coaching course this year, I've had a few questions around the meaning of the name Evolve. Well, firstly, Evolve is an acronym based on the title for each module. And within those modules are chapters dealing with content around session delivery, team culture, how to improve attendance through the environment you create, the science of coaching, coach health, and many more. As well as this, Evolve is also a description of my personal experience and growth as a coach from running this podcast over six years. The changes in my coaching philosophy, methodologies, creativity, and weekly training cycle, among other things, have really been immeasurable. The catchphrase of the pod has always been sharing ideas to make the game better. And the game gets better when we as coaches get better. So that's my goal with Evolve. Provide an online course based on 100 plus interviews with some amazing coaches so that people can grow and develop at their own pace in the comfort of their own home. Stay tuned for more updates. But for now, kick back and enjoy this episode. Um, we've, we've talked about uh, a lot about about culture, not so much about leadership. What are, what are some strategies you, you've used in the past to, you know, develop leaders within the group, identify leaders within the group and, and, and support them in that, in that leadership journey? So we're quite lucky in the military in that the, mm. the leadership development is very intentional. Mm. So every time, almost every time you, you change rank and, and you're promoted, there is an element of, of, of training or prior to that, there's an element of training to, to prepare you for that, for that, um, that promotion or that step up or that, or mm. that change. So the military is really good about doing that. Very intentional yeah. from the absolute lowest ranks all the way through, very intentional yeah. about developing its leaders. I had a, I had a buddy on from the Canadian army and he talked about um you got to be able to do two jobs up at, a, at yes. any time yeah. and that um because you never know <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right you're, you're you're absolutely right and um and then in and what i've noticed is so i had i had one job um where i was uh, working at the assessment and selection center that, that assessed people who wanted to join the army as future leaders so before mm -hmm. going to uh sandhurst as an officer as an officer cadet in the british army you would, you would come to this um small town in the Wiltshire countryside to go through your assessment and selection and I was one of the people that did that but we also worked with civilian organizations about you know, how to identify leadership in their sort of management structure and, and we would sort of discuss how the army did it and they would talk about how they did it and then we sort of discuss and what I noticed was that um, often the empathy wasn't really considered sometimes mm -hmm. in civilian organizations that's changed now i think but it used mm. to be a case perhaps that you know you were you were promoted on your uh, potential ability rather than character now that sounds a bit strange well someone's performing well then they should be they should be promoted but actually someone's character and how they deal with others is often a, a better determining factor of whether or not they'll be a good leader or they'll be able to you know step up into a into a leadership role um and that's kind of backed up by the fact that when when the army selects assesses and selects people to go to sandhurst as junior leaders actually what, what they're doing is they're assessing their character so they're looking for leadership potential and they're assessing their character no one turns up and, and is you know is going to be a, a general on day one everyone has to start somewhere and go on a bit of a leadership journey and so really what you're looking at is someone's someone's character and their potential for leadership rather than the finished product. Of course, that means that you've then got to you've then got to back that up by, you know, developing them uh, as individuals and leaders. Um, but if an organization. If an organization is serious about developing its, its culture and its leadership, then they absolutely need to look at developing its leaders and developing those people that it's promoting because it's easy to bring someone in from from outside and go ta-da we've just hired someone to go and do x y and z mm. but actually that doesn't develop the culture within the organization and those people that you've already got that you've already invested in they're the ones who perhaps you might want to develop and from a from a rugby standpoint you know grassroots team maybe two coaches and like you said, you're meeting twice twice a week. How 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 would you see coaches' roles 
in in supporting those leaders while selecting them and supporting them uh, through through the season. And it's you know it's a really that's a really interesting point when when teams select their sort of their captain their on field mm. captain, mm-hmm. and I would absolutely advise they select on um, on character. They might yeah. not necessarily be the standout player in the team. Mm. They might not be the top try scorer or the top point scorer, but I would definitely select a captain on character. And what you could also select, which I see happening more often, is an on-field and an off-field captain. So you kind of have what people would traditionally call the club captain and then the the, the team captain, Mm -hmm. because you can split those responsibilities. And those two people might be be different. Those roles and responsibilities are slightly different. but definitely select on on character over ability. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I was actually going to bring that up. Um, that often you'll see, you know, those those captains of of teams are not are not the star. Uh, they're not the standout player, but they can't be droppable either. You're uh, you don't <laughs> yes, want to be in a position a where. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I have to put bump you down the seconds, and you you're the team captain. You you've got to you've got to make sure that's. Uh, it is, and it's a really they can perform. It's a really interesting dynamic, and I remember when um, Dylan Hartley was selected as the England captain. The press went to Rolling town, um, <laughs> and actually, he turned out to be a very good captain. I yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but, but at the time, the, you know, the, the press, the, the British sort of rugby press, were up in arms about mm. Dylan Hartley being the captain. But you know, history tells us actually he was. And if you listen to players who discuss his captaincy, mm. actually he was he was pretty good because yeah. from a from an external perspective there was one view, but from the internal perspective, yeah, you know, it was deemed that actually he had the right character in order to be the captain. And, and that mm. I think is a that's a that's a key aspect to any leadership or, or, or captaincy role especially in sport that you know you it needs to be on account and that doesn't mean you can't have a number of of and i know that some some teams do co-captains yeah so bath used to do i'm not sure if they still do but a couple of seasons ago bath would have two captains on the pitch mm. listed as co-captains and i thought that was a really interesting dynamic and, and a really a really interesting way of doing it um and you can absolutely set up some sort of leadership group to assist the captain yeah. Um, yeah. in terms of uh, and I think that leadership group and if you're going to go down that route I think that leadership group needs to be a really broad spectrum so it needs to be a young new inexperienced player as well as the kind of the old horse mm. who's been around for years because yeah. you need those diverse opinions you need those different biases you need those different ways of, of doing things or viewing life in order to be able to make the best decision for the team. Yeah. Yeah, one of my one of my uh my team culture heroes uh, is Ray McLean uh, and his uh, his book Any Given Team and I had him on uh, very early on in the podcast and he 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 was he's been you know the one who who coined that term leadership group apparently and mm-hmm. he uh, he developed his model through the the Australian Air Force actually. He's a phys ed teacher but uh yeah Yeah. and his his big thing is that that leadership group is making sure that players have a say in in who's in that group um and and that there's you know some kind of democratic process that 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 elects that group and often what happens anyhow is that the group you'd elect as a coach after observing your team marries up pretty well with uh with what the leadership group is doing um what experience have you had with that with creating leadership groups and in that way so exactly that you know we had to be very intentional about about who who was in that group um i can think of one example of one one team within a one representative team in the army we um you know, we purposefully made it diverse so mm. we had sort of you know we had the team captain who we thought would be you know, a good option for the team captain and also mm. a number of other players who we said look you know we want to draw you in um because yeah, we want you to represent the voice of the players. And we put this to the, we, we did exactly as you said, we put it to the group. And actually we, we, we did a little, we did a little exercise as a coaching group. We, we wrote down who we thought the team would yep. select yep, and pick. Yep. And funny yep. enough, it was yep. actually pretty similar um, yeah, because exactly. those kinds of people, um, you know, once you've been in a team for a period of time, you can probably work out who would be a good fit for those kind of roles. Yeah. Um, and actually what, what that did is that, we took it one step further and we said, okay, here's, here's our games. 
here's you know maybe what we want to achieve um as a as a playing group how do you want to do it and that gave as a coaching group that was quite a vulnerable moment because it was saying look we 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 want you to tell us how you want to play how you want to do it Mm. we can stand here and tell tell you how we think you want to do it but that's not going to achieve any kind of buy-in that's not going to get the team energized it's not going to allow those those organic team behaviors to develop which we wanted and actually the team when they sort of when they discussed it said look here's here's what we think here's how we think we want to play um and it was interesting in that actually as a coaching group what, what, what we thought they might say and actually what they said was, was pretty similar so that was quite lucky mm. um there's been i imagine there's teams or coaching groups who've done that and actually maybe the players came back with something different maybe a, a, a slightly more diverse um answer of how they wanted to play um and that's and that's absolutely fine because as a, as a coach i think you're you're trying to develop the player or the players and the team mm. rather than rather than the team reflecting you as a person which is probably more about ego rather than about um mm. about coaching and, and there's a vulnerability to coaching and, and if you get it right there's a vulnerability in which you a coach can absolutely can say look you know how do you want to do it pass it to the players and when that comes back at you you get okay this is how you want to play this is how you want to do it um great you know we will we will marry up what you want to do with perhaps you know what the club or the organization wants to do and somewhere in the middle there is that sweet spot and now what that does is it achieves buy-in throughout the whole club so the players yeah. feel invested because they're listened to and the club and the organization say well look the way that you're going with the players is the way we want to go with the club and everyone is then doing the same thing um, and everyone can get behind that and that's really key because when you have that when you have that culture that divests between the playing on the field and off the field that's when frictions can arise mm. and that can be detrimental to performance yeah, so yeah. yeah even even a grassroots club even a, you know a purely amateur grassroots club having the the committee you know everyone on the on the same page with the players and the playing group and the coaching staff and everyone thinking the same thing that's when good things happen yeah yeah cool and what about when bad things happen because <laughs> that definitely happens and um you know if you look at you know team culture development in a linear fashion you often hear the word forming norming storming performing that there, there's in a linear fashion that it, it goes in that way but sometimes that storming stage uh, can be a little bit rocky. Um, you know, you've explored shared experiences, getting to know each other's story, empathy. What about when you come across those players? Sometimes it's just a few who just resist this process. What have been some successful ways to address that in your experience? Yeah. Um, so I think I'll, I'll give you an example of where I previously where I think I've got it wrong. So I sometimes think that getting it, the lessons you can draw from getting it wrong mm. create that ability to change. Whereas if you if you get it right, you just carry on doing the same thing. So that's that's why I've changed a lot as a coach. I, I think that um, wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's all part of growth, and, that, and yeah, that's and, and that's part yeah. of growing and developing as a you know, critically developing as a person, not just mm. as a coach. Mm. So where, where did I get it wrong? Um, during one of my tours of Afghanistan, there was a, there was a situation where. Um, one of the one of the guys over a couple of days i noticed some slight behavioral changes negative behavioral changes the guy was a great operator you know likable um great great part of the team but i noticed these slight behavior changes and what i didn't do was address it there and there mm. um i didn't reach out to him i didn't i didn't i didn't sort of show that vulnerability and say hey that mate what's going on um you know i, I didn't show i didn't show that empathy that would have allowed you know this situation to be resolved so the upshot was we we were on a patrol and there was a situation and, and he just started crying um and i thought oh god he's injured and i went over you know looking for you know blood or, or, or a serious sort of like um bone break or something because this guy was sat there crying and i couldn't see anything i thought well, this is weird i can't see any injury uh, and i said what's wrong and he just said oh 
she's left me. She wrote me a letter. That's it. It's over. I thought, oh, oh right. And it all fell into place. You know, mm. I thought, oh, God. this guy was dumped by his girlfriend by letter when we were, when we were in theatre. And, uh, and, you know, it, it affected him that much that, you know, there was stuff going on around him and he just sat there and he was just crying. The, you know, the, the, the pressure and, and maybe the, the fear, anxiety, whatever, the, mm. of that situation meant that you know, he was just in tears. And, and I'd, al- I'd almost allowed that to happen, inadvertently allowed that to happen. And I, and, and I thought, oh, i got to speak about this. Um, and it happened because at the, the most crucial time as well. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yes. And so I, I said to him, I said, look, when, when this finishes, when this is all over and we're, and we're, back, at the, we're back at the base, you and I will we'll sit down and um, we'll have a brew and, and, you can just, and you can tell me everything that's happened. And he went, all right, okay, yeah, yeah. And then was kind of back to, you know, back in and back to normal. And, and it all finished. We all wrapped it up and, and, and you know, luckily nothing, nothing bad happened. And, um, and we got back to the base. And once we'd done all the, all the sort of post-situation admin and all that, and um, I went and grabbed him and said, hey, mate, come on, let's go, and, let's go and get a brew. So we found a quiet corner of the, the, uh, the camp and we, we sat there and I said, right, you know, what's happened? And he sort of, he... So this was like a, this was a little shared experience amongst the two of us. And he told me what happened. You know, I said, right, go and grab the letter. So we got the letter. He read it to me. Um, I didn't really say very much. I just let him kind of mm. talk about it and discuss and talk about how he was feeling, how it affected him. Um, and I think because one, one aspect of empathy, I think, is um, it's just being a good listener. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't I didn't try to offer him any advice. Or, or any kind of like little nuggets. I just listened to what he was saying. And we were sat there for about, I reckon it's probably nearly an hour at least um, with him sort of talking about things. And then, I mean, it certainly wasn't resolved after that hour. He was still very upset, but, mm. what, it, but what it did is it, is it allowed him to, it allowed him to voice what was upsetting him. And therefore we could then sort of start that, that process of getting over it. Um, funnily enough, a couple of days later, you know, he came up to me again and said, um, yeah, thank you. And I said, no, you don't thank me. I should have done this days ago. Mm. Um, but what that meant. So what I learned from that was actually, you know, if, if you're a leader, you know, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily about confronting issues. It's about opening up a, doorway Mm. for people to be able to talk and so there will be players who for whatever reason a coach thinks doesn't fit or doesn't get on with or or whatever whatever the situation might be or maybe they're maybe they're expressing behaviors that that are that are detrimental to the team or have a negative impact on the team and it's not necessarily about confronting those sitting down with that person Mm. and saying hey what's going on talk to me more often than not i suspect that the the outcome of that will be a a dialogue that means both people understand each other a bit more and therefore mm. you can then work together because it's about the understanding and if you understand someone you can then you know as, so as a as a relationship if you understand the other person that allows you to then both develop and both maybe change or make those steps that actually mm. change those negative behaviors in a positive team influence yeah oh, that's great great story too and uh, there's so many parallels that you could add into that, into uh, a team environment. So some awesome advice there. Um, part, part of your process that you're doing with, with all these little groups that you've, you've got on the go is uh, one really cool one called the Rugby Outreach Project. It's a, it's a charitable organization that's, that's assisting groups uh, who may not have the funds uh, to, to do things like employ a strength and conditioning coach or create a strength and conditioning program. Uh, those kind of things. Can you talk a little bit about that project? Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, UK-based charity, um, or the, sorry, registered in the UK, I should say, but we've, mm-hmm. um, but I operate anywhere in the world. So I give teams free SNC and rugby fix advice. Um, any team anywhere anywhere around the world. Uh, I've worked with teams uh, who were trying to get on the World Seven Series, all the way down to local grassroots teams in Africa or the Pacific or, or wherever. Awesome. Um, it was, it was kind of 
born out of um so i finished a, i did a, a two-season internship part-time internship at bath in the academy in the performance department and um that that wrapped up and, and i thought you know i i want to sort of kick on with this and i had an idea of, of offering sort of online stuff but you know for a fee mm. a lot like you know a lot of, a lot of people seem to do at the moment um I had a team from Papua New Guinea get, or the coach, a coach of a team from Papua New Guinea get in touch. And, and I said, yeah, here's my fees. Here's, here's what, here, here's what you get for, for that. I didn't really get a response for a day or two. And I thought, he probably hasn't got any money. Mm. It, it, it's a small village team in the, in the Eastern Islands. And I used to live in PNG as a kid. So I thought, right, you know what, I'll do this for free. Uh, and I did. And a couple of days later, another coach, completely coincidentally, from the other side of PNG, get, got in touch and said, I'm looking for something. And I said, okay, I'll do it for free. Once I did those two, I thought, I think there's something in this. Mm. And, uh, and I spent about probably two years doing that. Um, just myself as, as a, you know, just as if, if it's essentially being referred or people referring teams to me. Um, and then I turned it into a, a, a charity uh, about, um, it was during the first lockdown, so 2020, so about 18 months ago, yeah. turned it into a charity, um, yeah. and um, and so and, and that's what it is. So I, teams get in touch, and I, I give them free um, fitness or strength advice uh, based on you know, what what they want to achieve, coupled with you know maybe equipment they've got or mm. what what sort of infrastructure they have. Um, there's a lot you can do in rugby without a gym. Um, mm. just with an area of grass or an area of ground. Mm. Uh, and so I sort of give the players or give the coaches advice and the coaches deliver that to the players. I, I don't sort of step in and, and mm. coach, but I certainly empower the existing coaching structure to then deliver that to their players. Oh, that's awesome. That uh, must be really rewarding as well at the same time. Cool. Uh, well, we always end the, the show with the same final four questions. When When you were a kid growing up, what was uh, who was one of those players that really stood out to you that you you got you got you into rugby? So I probably not as a kid, certainly as a as a kind of teenager and older. I I used to watch every clip of Sarevi playing. Oh yeah, um, sevens. Um, it seeing him play made me realise that yeah, you can't as a player. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that's the only bit of the good bit of my game. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it made me realise that you could you could express yourself as an individual mm, on the pitch. Yeah. That you know, it, it wasn't just about you know going through a series of moves, uh, you know, predetermined by someone. Actually, you, you could express yourself, um, and you could you you could be yourself on the pitch. And I, I and I would and and when sort of YouTube got popular and there was clips of him him playing um sevens I, I would i would watch those on a, on a weekly basis and just mm. think this guy is incredible and um and then i'd go and try and do it on the pitch uh <laughs> on the saturday which occasionally came off occasionally there did, we go. but it meant but it meant yeah. that you know yeah. i was trying things that was yeah, amazing 100%. Yeah. yeah awesome and what about now who are some of the players you like watching go around so i think with with that kind of same vein and i, I always mm. like I've always been drawn to players who are able to express themselves on the pitch as individuals. Mm. Um, and that's everyone from people. I've always been a big fan of watching Sergio Parise play. I thought yeah. he was, I thought he was yeah. fantastic, incredibly skillful. More recently though, or people like, um, I've always been drawn to very highly skilled players, regardless of the, of the position. Mm. But more recently, probably someone like Marcus Smith, I quite enjoy yeah. watching Marcus yeah. Smith play. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do like watching sevens because I think that, um, a, it's exciting. It can go from end to end pretty quickly, but it also it, that format allow more allows players to express themselves in a way that you might not be able to do in in fifteens. Mm. Um, but yeah, certainly those kind of highly skilled players who express themselves on the pitch, Marcus Smith, Finn Russell, yeah. um, those kind of players are always ones that I've been I've been more drawn to. Yeah, I suppose you would have liked. Uh... The clip going around of Quade Cooper doing his uh, NFL pass from one side of the field to the <laughs> yes. winger on the other side of the field. Quade Cooper is another one who who <laughs> I would I would watch uh, when he was playing for the Wallabies, and the Cage mm. just think, 
how does he do that? You know, mm. at, at what point did he did he think that was possible? And then he goes and does it, and it's mm. it's you know, and it's amazing. I remember watching. Um, uh, I went to watch uh, New Zealand France at the World Cup at the mm. Millennium Stadium in, in Cardiff, and um, the All Blacks put on an absolute show. And I think uh, Milner Scudder scored two or three. Um, mm. Two of them were, were on the same side. I was I was sat, and I was slightly high up, um, so I could almost get a get a sort of looking down view of, and and he would do something and i remember watching just thinking how did he know that was going to come off mm. you know and i thought he couldn't have known he just decided to have a go because that yeah, was him expressing yeah, himself yeah, on the pitch yeah. and it was it was also when i think um uh who was the play, who was the other winger uh Julian Surveyor bumped off about four french players oh, yeah. <laughs> over the line yeah he was, was like, well, that's he was pretty yeah, so that's so it was all those players who were sort of who expressed themselves on the pitch. Uh, yeah, I've always been drawn to those kinds of players. Cool, cool. And what about coaches? Third question: Who who are some coaches that you like what they're doing? So currently, um, I think uh, Andy Friend and Stuart Lancaster, um, Andy Friend mm-hmm. at Connaught, Stuart Lancaster yeah. at Leicester are, yeah. are doing really yeah. well. Agreed. I really like how I like how. Uh, Exeter have had this sort of long-term continued success. Mm. I think that that speaks volumes for the culture at the club, yeah. uh, what they're doing, how they how they are and how they're developing their players and, and, and the staff. You, you can't have that kind of long-term continued success without good culture and leadership. Yeah. Um, and I really like uh, I really like the way that Harlequins turned it around last season without yeah. a coach. Mm. And now they've got a head coach in Tabai Matson, who I think was a great, a mm. great hire and, and, and has fitted in really well. That's just purely from an external um, viewpoint. Um, but I really liked how Harlequins went, you know what? We'll just go without a head coach. We'll just do it as a we'll just do it as a group. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, and, and I did, and after that I did think, I wonder if they're gonna hire a head coach or just carry on carry on the way they are. Um, but they did, and I think they made a great, a great choice. And they've they've sort of kind of carried, they've carried that on. And um and so that that I find that very impressive as well. All right. Well, final question before we wrap things up then. Um, and what about someone in a grassroots community that you feel is doing really good work that deserves some recognition? Yeah, so my growing up, I used to play for um Sidmouth Rugby Club in, in Devon. And um, one of the guys who was who was down there, you know, helping out uh, as I was coming through, and is still involved in the club now. It's a guy called Bob Boff, and um, he was always there at the club, always helping out. You know, one day he might be serving behind the bar, another day he might be putting the lines on the pitch. He, mm. he was that kind of person. And um, during one of my Afghan tours, I had a parcel arrive from a mate, um, and it was a club shirt, yeah, um, nice. and and. It was that that was that was quite emotional. I I, mm. I I sat there on my on my on my sort of um cot bed with this sort of shirt to my face, just you know, almost feeling really mm. emotional. Mm. And um what had happened is my, my mate had, had gone to Bob and said, Hey, look, Andy's in Afghanistan. Can, can we get him a shirt? And he went, wait there. And he went and got one of the club shirts and went, No one will miss this, send him this one. And, and it was it was a really emotional moment. And um, a couple of years later, I happened to be back at the club. Um, we would sometimes put an old boys sevens team in. And when I say old, I mean like, you know, we're all 35 plus sort of old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Bob was there. And I went up to him and gave him a big hug. And he was a bit surprised. I think he felt a bit awkward about this. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I explained that, he, you know, he got a bit bashful and a bit, a bit sheepish. Um, but, and, you know, I don't think he was used to that kind of, you know, someone really coming up and, and, and saying mm. and emotionally saying saying thank you um but it's 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 guys like that um and you get it you know guys and girls and, and men and women like that who are at every sports club who, who mm. help out who give their own time who are selfless in what they do and without without those people um clubs wouldn't function yeah, outside of this kind of top tier there's very little money in rugby yeah. um and, and sport in general so actually you know, it, it's those kind of people who who really make clubs tick and mm. get you know and turn kids from kids turning up on a you know Sunday morning and then 
they pop out the other side and then they keep playing as adults. And without that, you know, without that rugby will just die. hundred percent. All right, Andrew. Well, it's been awesome having a chat with you and I'll make sure to put all your, all your relevant details in the, in the show notes so people can go and check out uh, all the, all the uh, projects that you've got running. Um, I love talking about leadership and team culture. So this one's been a really enjoyable chat and I've got no doubt coaches will get a lot out of it. So I want to thank you for giving up your time and uh, we'll talk soon. Cheers. My pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.